Well, good morning, everyone. I would venture to guess that one of the most common questions we ask in our lives is, what was that? Like, especially at night, it's dark. You're laying in bed and you hear like the scraping sound like of a branch or something. It's like, and your wife goes, what was that? I don't know. Well, go see. I'm not going to see. That's a horrible sound. And, then, and so you just lay there or, or, or you hear in the middle of the night, Daddy? Dad, what was that? I think there's a monster in my closet. Yeah, that's why I'm standing out here in the hallway. And, and pay no attention to that scary clown sitting in the chair on the other side of your, uh, your room either. Uh, you hear that sound. What was that? And we, we wonder what it is because in the nighttime, in the dark, things mess with our minds, right? What was that? There was a, a situation I laugh about now, um, but it was, it was weird in the moment. Probably about a year ago, uh, Laura and I were sitting in our living room, and, and she was on one side, which is near our front yard, and I was kind of sitting towards the other side of the living room, and, and uh, we were both reading, and, and all of a sudden we heard this just horrible sound, like some animal squealing, right? And, and Laura goes, what was that? I said, I don't know. It sounded like a dog that was not very happy. And, and then it went away, and... And we just kind of went back to reading. A little while later, I, I uh, got into my car. It was like 8.30 or so, kind of kind of dusky. And, and I was going to head to the grocery store for something. And, and as I'm pulling out of the driveway, I looked over in the dusk and saw this. It, it was something dead in our front yard. And it ended up being our, our neighbor's schnauzer, killed by a coyote. And in my highly pastoral way, I went next door and said, Hey, Jill and Larry, I think your dog's dead in our yard. I, I mean, what else are you going to say? I mean, it's pretty direct. Hey, you might want to come here. I think there might be a problem with Buster. No, no, no. I knew Buster. I've seen dead dogs. Buster was dead. What was that? Those questions just hit us. What was that? Because we don't know. Things happen and sounds happen and we weren't sure what they were. We were camping a few years ago in our trailer and in the middle of the night again heard this horrible sound. It sounded like metal scraping on something. And What was that? It was like two in the morning. I had never heard this sound and I wasn't really going to go look outside at first. I looked, looked out the window eventually and saw some bear waddling by. I went, what did that bear do? I'm glad I didn't go out there to see what that was. And actually went out the next morning and the bear had jumped up on the back of my pickup which had a like roll top just destroyed it trying to try to just get in and see what was in there and what was that right we've all asked that question what was that we have a a story today in the book of mark in the series we've been doing called great beginnings and and that's really the question the disciples had And, and if i were just to bring you up to speed a little bit from from in gathering his disciples who had just come back from their first real sense of activity, going out in the authority of Jesus to heal and to cast out demons and to proclaim who Jesus is, right? He gave them his authority to go out, and they went out and did those things and came back, and they decided to go away to debrief for a while about what had happened while they were gone, and all these people followed them, right? All these people followed them. When they got there, Jesus had compassion on the people, and he said they were like sheep without a shepherd, and and we went through this amazing scenario where the people were hungry, they were in this wilderness area, and the disciples, who were by this time really tired, said to Jesus, you know, everybody's tired, it's late, they've been listening to teaching for a while, why don't we send them off and they can get something to eat, because I'm sure they're hungry. And Jesus looked at them with these, these words that could haunt us if we listen to it, and he said, you give them something to eat. And, and they were incredulous in a degree. It's like, well, how are we going to do that? It would cost like a year's wages to have enough bread for these people, and Jesus said, what do you have? And they, they brought back five loaves and two fish. And we discovered through that, that that there's an incredible return on investment because God doesn't want us to just point out a problem. He wants us to enter into helping meet that need. He says, if you're going to see a problem, I expect you to meet that need by prayer and other means. And, and so you give them something to eat. And, and, 
and we, we, we actually asked ourselves throughout the day, what, what are our five loaves and two fish? What do we, what do we have? And we're called through Jesus to, to solve impossible problems with very limited resources. But in the midst of it, we see the power and possibilities of God. And today's passage takes off right where that happened. In fact, let's just jump right into it. So, so just keep in mind that he just fed what was probably 10,000 people, right? Miraculously. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of, of leftovers, right? And it says immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. What was that? Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran through that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. We've seen a series of these miracles of the last few weeks that would very easily we could keep just back in time, back in history, and say, Jesus walked on the water. Wow, that's, what a trick. He, he, he fed 10,000 people with basically nothing. That's amazing. And, and we can very easily leave all that way back then and said, boy, that just showed how powerful he was. But, but there's so much more going on in these stories that, that impact us and implicate us today. I mean, if we just look at this on surface level, right? Uh, the uh, The disciples who had... Really, once they had joined Jesus, they're probably starting to think, is this what we signed up for? We're sent out on this trip. He, he told us not to take money or extra clothes or food, but just to accept the generosity of strangers. And we came back from that and we're excited to tell them what happened. But then all these people came and they're crowding in around us. And, and Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And, and this was this baffling thing. They learned something about Jesus, but in, in the middle of it, they had to be exhausted. And so after that last miracle, Jesus sent them away while, while the crowd was still here, probably still a buzz about they had just had something happen that they didn't understand, right? And, and so he, he sent the disciples and said, go ahead, the Bethsaida, and I'll stay behind and dismiss the crowd. And Mark doesn't give us any details, right? And we've seen that throughout the book of Mark. No details, no, no deep insight into, into, well, what did he say to these people after he sent the disciples away? How did he dismiss them? There were thousands of them, but he, he said he dismissed the crowd, and then he went up on a mountain to pray. And we know they've been gone a while. They, they had eaten. It was getting late in the afternoon. Then they ate, so it was getting to be evening, maybe nighttime, sent them out from the boat. And it says in the middle of the night when he saw them straining against the wind, this wasn't a huge storm like we saw a few weeks ago where they thought they were going to die. This was just a difficulty. You ever been in, the, in a wind? Wind just takes it out of you. No matter what you're doing, it's something physical. The wind blowing, or you're running, or you're, or you're playing golf, or you're in a boat, or you're, you're fishing, or you're just driving a, driving a truck, and you suddenly turn, and there's a headwind, you just feel it, right? And it just drains you more than anything else would, that wind. And, and so these disciples are in this boat, and they're kind of going nowhere fast. And as Jesus saw them 
from the land. And then he said he went out walking on the water and he was, he was about to pass them by. Which is a really weird statement. Because it doesn't say Jesus went out to them. Like, I saw them in trouble. I'm going to go out to them and help them. It says, no, he saw them struggling. He was about to pass them by. And that's a really odd statement. And we'll get back to that in a bit. And, and, then, and then they thought he was a ghost. And they're going, what is that? Did you see that? What was that? And he says, don't worry, it's I. And then he, he gets into the boat and says, they were all amazed. And it makes this really odd statement that they didn't understand about the loaves. We'll figure that one out, too. And then they, the wind calmed down instantly, and they went and landed at a different place than they originally went to land. And then it tells stories of people bringing more of the ill and, and the lame and coming and touching his cloak and being healed. And if we just leave that again as a simple story of Jesus saw them in trouble, went out to help them, and he walked on the water to do it. That's pretty amazing. They go, who was that? It's a ghost. He came and got in the boat. It settled, and they landed on shore. End of story. But, but, but there's a lot going on in here that if we just leave it at this surface level, we have completely missed the point. And in fact, the only way we're really going to grasp this story is if we have a much more deeply rooted sense of Old Testament imagery. And, and if we remember that this was taking place in Jesus' lifetime, it was being written about and preached about by Mark about 30 years after Jesus to, to a church, to a group of Christians in Rome who were under severe persecution. So, so when he's talking to that audience, they have certain perceptions about what they know about Scripture and what they know about Old Testament imagery. And, and the first thing we have to remember is that this is talking about something taking place on the water. And we've talked about that before, that, that Hebrew thought, Hebrew ideas, the Old Testament imagery about water is that water, the sea, is the place of chaos. It's the place of death. It's the place of fear. But God has control over those things. He can control the chaos because he's God and he is the creator. In fact, there are some very interesting statements in the Old Testament, in particular in the book of Job and the book of Isaiah, some references in Psalms about God is the only one who can tread upon the waters. Only God can do that because God created it. So only God can tread upon and walk upon what they saw as the source of chaos and evil because he is over all the things and he can control and make good out of the chaos. And so just... That phrase, Mark's audience would go, only God can walk in the water. And here's Jesus walking on the water. And so keep that in mind. This scenario takes place on the water. Well, well, then we had this interesting passage about Jesus was about to pass them by. And I said I'd come back to this. It didn't say he went to the disciples. It said he was about to pass them by in the, the NIV, a literal translation. It says, while he was passing. And once again, we get baffled by, well, what does that mean? Why was he passing them? Why was he going by? And, and once again, uh, scholars have struggled with this. What, what was going on in this story? Why was he passing them by instead of going to them? And some think, well, this was, these were his buds. These were his guys. And he's, he was going to go by and beat them to the other side. It's like, dude, how you get here? I mean, that's kind of what, no, 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 no. Yeah, they called him dude. He called Peter dude all the time. It's, it's little known, but that's the literal translation. Dude, dude, how'd you get here? It's like, yeah, I walked in the water. Whoa, no. And, and, uh, and, and so that was one aspect. Others thought he was passing them by, and as he was on his way by in that previous scenario, he saw their struggle and, and went over to help them because they realized they were afraid. But 
We already know that it said he saw their distress earlier, and that's why he went. He was about to pass them by, or he, while he was passing by. This is another profound Old Testament image. Let me just tell you a couple of examples from the Old Testament. In the book of, of Exodus, chapter 33, we read about a place where Moses asked God to show him his glory. And God responded by passing him by. It says, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But he said, I can cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. In the book of 1 Kings, God tells Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This idea of passing by was not strictly directional. Here they are, he's passing by. It was, I think, Jesus, when he saw their distress, and just like when he had the healing or the feeding miracle with the people, he wanted to teach them first before he provided food. I think he wanted this as an opportunity to teach the disciples something, to reveal something about who he was before he went out to help them. He was about to pass by. In other words, if we were to put this into theological jargon, this was a moment of a theophany or an epiphany. This was a theophany, which is a a statement where God, the divine God, chooses in almost a surprise way to reveal something about himself in a physical way to communicate a message to select individuals or select group. This was a moment of saying, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you who I am because I am going to walk on the water, which only God can do, and I'm going to pass by, which you guys should be students of Scripture and understand what that is. But they didn't. They didn't get it. Instead, they said, that's a ghost. And they were terrified. In the middle of that moment, in them being terrified, Jesus makes another statement that we need to grasp that has great Old Testament imagery. When they were afraid, he looked at them and says, don't be afraid, it's I, right? He wasn't just saying, yo, yo, don't be afraid, it's me, Jesus. He was making a statement, again, that stated something about who he was. The, the Greek translation here is the word ego eimi, two words, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means I am. When Moses was at the burning bush, interacting with God, and and God says, you're going to rescue the people out of their slavery, you're going to do this, and Moses says, well, who should I tell the people sent me? He said, tell them, I am. And that's the word Yahweh. And in traditional Jewish teaching, you don't say the word Yahweh, that it belongs to God, it's a special word. So when Jesus is on in the middle of the sea, and he's walking on the water, and they are afraid, he turns and says, don't be afraid, I am. And they didn't get it. And he got in the boat and immediately the wind died down. And they were terrified. This is an amazing moment. This isn't just a little simple story where Jesus sees them in trouble, say, I'm going to walk on the water and go out and help them. He says, no, I am going to offer them a glimpse into the glory of God. I'm going to show them that I am God. But they didn't get it. They they missed the point. And, And there's this interesting phrase in here. They didn't understand it because they didn't understand about the loaves. Does that strike you as just a really weird statement? 
It is. It's an odd statement. They didn't understand about the loaves. What had just happened? Jesus had just miraculously fed 10,000 people with the meager offerings of the disciples, the five loaves and two fish. And if we back up to that story, we, we talked last week about how the, the implications, the takeaway for us, as I referenced a bit ago, is not um, that you should be good at throwing out problems. It's that if God allows you to see a problem, he expects you to meet the need. Right And step into that through prayer and other means. He has given us all the resources we need. He multiplies our faith. He helps us do impossible things with limited resources and to see the possibilities and power of God. I absolutely firmly believe that's a great implication of that passage. But we could have easily gone down a path of saying the feeding of the 5,000 shows us something different about who Jesus is. It shows him revealing his nature as God. Remember when he, when he took these five loaves and two fish, they gave him, and he, and he took it and basically said, this is perfect, this is all we need. And he said he broke the bread and he lifted his head to heaven. And he would have given the traditional Hebrew prayer in that moment of blessing at a meal where he broke the bread, says, blessed art thou, Lord of the universe, who causes bread to come forth from but his action. Usually that, it's true about me. I bring bread forth from the earth. I am God. They didn't get that, and therefore they didn't get the I am statement and that only God walks on water. They didn't get the first one. They weren't going to get the second one. It's an amazing story. It was this opportunity for revelation to these people to see the glory of God in a way nobody ever had in history. Not Moses, because he only saw God's back. They see the face of Jesus. Not Abraham, not Elijah, not any of them had that interaction that these disciples could have had if they got it. And so we ask ourselves, okay, this is, this is a story that's amazing things. We, we learn that God is, Jesus is saying he's God. He's doing the things only God can do. But do we understand it? And we ask ourselves, how, how do we wrestle through this? What, what are the implications for this in our lives? And I think right off the bat, one of the things we absolutely see is that Jesus clearly cares for his disciples. He's on the shore, he's on the mountain, he sees them struggling against the wind, and he had compassion on them. He he wanted to go out there, he wanted to teach them something, and we we can quibble with the timing, they've been out there hours, but but Jesus showed up. Jesus saw them, they weren't just off in the distance, out of sight, out of mind. No, they absolutely cared, he absolutely cared about them, and he went to them. What we learn, I think, through this is the life of discipleship is a constant experience of trial and growth, of testing and deliverance. It goes on and on. And Jesus, in his care and compassion, joins with us in that. One of the other things I think we learn from this passage is that we may often find ourselves in a struggle because of our obedience. Do we really like to face that idea? They were in a struggle. They were rowing nowhere fast. They were up against a headwind. And why? Because they did what Jesus asked them to do. Go out there and head off across the lake. Get away from this crowd. I'll take care of the crowd. You guys go. Go to Bethsaida. And hours and hours later, they're still rowing. And they're still struggling against the wind. Why? They were doing what Jesus told them. And too often in our Christian worldview, I think we think that because we follow Jesus, things are going to go smoothly. That means Jesus will fix all that. He'll take away our problems. 
my, 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 my job will be better. I'll make more money because I, I'm following Jesus faithfully. And some people really believe that. And I'm following Jesus faithfully. So my family will be fixed. My, my relationship with my spouse will be perfect. I, I will find a spouse because God's going to reward me that way. My children will be perfect. I will smell good after exercising if I follow Jesus. Everything is perfect. Everything is awesome. But, but, but I'm a firm believer that's not what it happens because I think actually when we choose to follow Christ, it introduces tension into our lives that would not have happened if we didn't know Jesus. And we could probably go around the room and find all kinds of examples of that. I mentioned that briefly in a sermon several weeks ago. Uh, sometimes doing the right thing brings about really challenging results for us. Being obedient to who Jesus called us to be can introduce tension because now we have to wrestle through things that we wouldn't have to in the same way if we didn't know Jesus. And I, I, I mentioned this briefly before. I, I, I had an amazing job with a very large company in this community, and it was an awesome job, a very high-paying, great, great clout. Uh, but I was brought in to deal with a very difficult situation with a toxic team, and, and, and it was toxic. And it was a, a turnaround opportunity. And we were making great headway in things. My boss eventually couldn't handle what was going on. And, and although I was doing what she asked me to do when she hired me, it, it got to the place where I, I couldn't be there because I was being asked to turn a blind eye to some things that was causing an ethical dilemma. And, and so I had to leave that job. I, I had to voluntarily become unemployed because I could not do what I was being asked to do. It was wrong, and that introduced all kinds of tension. And so my, my natural inclination in that moment was say, okay, I don't have this job. God will reward me because I will get the first job that I apply for. And the first job I applied for after that was an amazing opportunity that I was absolutely perfectly qualified for, and, and I didn't get it. And that went on for a year. And it was, it was difficult. I learned a ton about myself. I am a different, but it was highly frustrating because it happened because I was obedient. And it was tough. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I was asked this morning how, you know, how work was this week. And, and I said it was okay. In reality, work was really hard this week. I, I've been leading a nonprofit as an executive director for the last year and a half. Uh, a nonprofit's been around for 41 years that deals with basic needs with people, a food bank and financial assistance and GED classes, and we work really hard to serve people really well. We moved from downtown Denver to Littleton a couple of years ago and, and knew that was a risk, uh, but it was, uh, the reality is that this organization had been on a very steady revenue decline for about six years, and, and I was brought in more as a consultant than as a permanent employee to come in and say, can you lead us in this new place Help us grow the work we do here, but also recommend to us long-term if we, if we have sustainability, if we're, if we're viable from a business standpoint anymore. And I knew within the first eight months that it really wasn't. And I do that kind of work as transition leadership a lot. The easy thing for me would have been to say, this, this organization can't really survive. I'm going to go look for a new job, and when I get it, I'll give my two weeks notice and then leave, and that's their problem. But, but I couldn't do that. You know, so a month ago, I met with the board and said, here's my recommendation. I think we need to close. And, and they agreed. And, and this past Friday was our last day open. And, and I did the right thing. It, it, was, it was one of these things where we you know, could have gone for another six months and kind of just 
found our way to make it six months and we'll be done. But, but I needed to look and say, no, we need to take care of people in a different way. We need to close the right way. We need to do this in a way that honors our volunteers and honors our staff. And so I stepped in, in a sense, to play the bad guy and say, we're going to close this place that people depend on. And now it introduces new tension and new challenges in my life. But it's what we had to do. Sometimes we're meeting the struggle because we are doing obediently what Jesus calls us to do. There's no happy ending to this story yet because I don't know where it's going. But it's a challenge. We often find ourselves in a struggle because of our obedience. And what's interesting is that in this story, Jesus didn't rescue them from the sea. He enabled them to keep rowing. He enabled them to continue on their journey. And in so doing, they landed in a new place. Another thing I think we can learn from this passage is that our lack of faith or hardening of our hearts will prevent us from seeing God who is at work and who is near. What I find fascinating in this story is the disciples were more afraid when Jesus was there than when he wasn't. His appearance brought them the fear because they didn't recognize who he was. They were just rowing against the wind, going nowhere fast, but they were rowing, and they didn't show anything about they were in fear, they were in peril, they just kept rowing. This is what happens in the sea, we're going against the storm. But when Jesus appeared, that's when they got frightened. Why? Because they didn't understand. They were more frightened by his appearance than by his absence. And that forces us to ask the question, when has God been at work in our lives, but we were too dense to see it? That's hard to even answer that question, because I was probably too dense to see it. It's only after the fact, often that we see how God has been at work in ways we could never understand and never even imagine but we see it after the fact. And we know through Scripture, because we have the rest of the story, we know what happens. We know that this leads to the cross. We know that it ultimately leads to the resurrection. It leads to Pentecost, when the the disciples were filled with power and had a different understanding, because the Holy Spirit was at work in an amazing new way. They could look back and see what God had done. They could look back and probably say, how did we not get the picture about Jesus walking by? How did that sail right over our heads? But it does. It does every day. God is at work, and and yet we fail to see him. Why? Because we didn't understand about the last thing he did. Our hope and our prayers that as we come to know Jesus deeper and as we we go through more and more things, it, it will become easier to see him. But in it all, Jesus is incredibly gracious to his disciples. He didn't get mad at them here. It's... And we're going to see that play out again and again over the next several weeks, especially, how they failed to get the point. But ultimately, they did. And Jesus, in his graciousness, keeps offering them. The song we sang earlier from Lamentations is, his mercies are new every morning. Why do we bank on that, don't we? Weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we have, we have clarity when, when and Jesus helps us see, when the Holy Spirit convicts and encourages and enlightens me. That's what we're doing. That's how God was at work. I didn't see it, but now I'm a changed person. I am, I am absolutely convinced this passage changed these disciples' lives. They, they just didn't see it yet. This is an amazing story. It's not just a simple little story. 
It's not that Jesus just walked on the water as a great trick. It was Jesus stating something about himself that we still need to grasp and wrestle with. This is Jesus making an appearance to his disciples to saying, I am. I am God. I can walk on the water. I am the giver of life. I am the creator. I bring forth bread from the earth. I'm with you in the boat. Not to rescue from the surroundings, but to help you continue on the journey. And sometimes we feel we're getting nowhere fast. But we know Jesus sees us, and we know he cares, and we know he's with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this 